Uh, welcome to our second episode of our uh, podcast, and uh, we're just getting started on this. I've got Andrew Bush, our high school director, uh, works with our teenagers. And in fact, you're getting together tomorrow night for the second time yeah. since COVID, isn't it? Yep. We've got youth group again tomorrow. I just, before this, was filming sort of a promo video for it and had to eat a spicy wing. So uh, I'm hoping that I'm not too tongue-tied or gassy or something. Oh, no, we wouldn't time. want so, either yeah. one of them, especially yeah. the latter, that's for sure. Uh, so anyway, you're, you're still on fire, huh? I mean, uh, my lips are still tingling yeah. a little bit. It was very spicy. Just as long as your lips aren't sealed, because I need you to have this give and take here right now. And just to let you know, uh, Andrew, we appreciate you. He comes from a great Christian home, uh, raised sort of in the ministry as well. You're, you've got uh, family that are all involved in ministry. We're glad you're here. And uh, so we're going to be going back and forth. We're even kind of uh, experimenting kind of with uh, what we're going to call this podcast. Uh, uh, It was even suggested that we call it the Sailorville Flyover. And I thought, now, why would we call it that? And and the individual on staff said, well, you know, they're always flying over Iowa. You know, if there's a, if you're a, if you're a, news uh, newsman or a weather 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 person you know you're always saying you know the weather in in st louis is this or minneapolis is this or omaha and chicago is like they completely fly over iowa it's like we don't exist unbelievable yeah so uh but the point is we would actually genuinely fly over various christian issues theological cultural that impact our day our own culture and you know right here in iowa as well and there's certainly these are incredible days that we we live in, aren't they? So today we're kind of taking on a theme of worship and obedience and uh, how those two kind of things come together because we just started a brand new series on the Ten Commandments in our study of Exodus. Indeed we did. And whatever we decide to name this podcast, it'll be better than Sailorville Podcast Episode 2. Yeah, I think we all agree on that one and we hope you do too. So... (laughs) So, we did have some questions that were submitted from people based mm-hmm. on your your int- your first message on the Ten Commandments. You covered the first two commandments. Um, I thought it was interesting that you said that the Catholics combined those two yeah. into one yeah. and then yeah. split up number ten. That yeah. was kind of an yeah. interesting... I, I did not know that before. Well, it sort of gets them away from having to deal with the graven images because mm-hmm. that, that passage is really, really clear that there are to be no graven images. So yeah, that you either worship or bow down to, which is another conflict they have because we understand when they say they're not worshiping the image. And I, I'll, I'll give them their due on that. But uh, yet they are bowing down before them oftentimes. And uh, that's just, uh, that's not something that's pleasing to God from the, the, the uh, passage here in Exodus 20. Hmm. Um, well, one of the verses that you read uh, coming from your message was Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, where it says, uh, But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. You know, before that, it says, if you don't follow them, then you're under judgment. But if you do love me and keep my commandments, then... He shows steadfast love to thousands, is is what it says. And so someone submitted the question, can you explain this verse, since no one can fully keep his commandments? uh, Maybe is is the number thousands an imagery of believers? Well, first of all, let me confess, I did not really deal with this on Sunday morning. I admit that openly. Uh, We only get a half hour. I wish I could have gone a little bit further, but it's a great question. Uh, I think it's kind of like a, it's a little bit like the Proverbs. I mean, you know, if you, 
it's a general truth, but it's, I mean, I'm reminded when I, I saw the question, you had actually sent it to me earlier, and uh, the question reminded me of a, of, a, of a pastor that was talking to a youth group years ago, and he asked the question, he, he said, what, uh, he said uh, why do you love God? And all these kids were giving answers as to why they love God. And, um, and he, his favorite answer was from the young lady who said, uh, she, she goes, I, I really don't know why I love him. I, I, I guess it just runs in the family. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, that was good, clever. And that kind of goes along with this. When, and, and Andrew, you can certainly relate to this. I can't relate. I have a great family, a loving family, a religious family that I grew up with. But it really wasn't a Bible-believing, uh, gospel-centered family. You had that, didn't you? And you so yeah. you're and you're starting to experience this generational thing, are you not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, uh, all my my immediate family and even into my grandparents on both sides of the family are Christians, and uh, on my mom's side of the family, you even get into great grandparents, and I don't even know how far back it goes. People that have claimed Christ who have been Christians and. Yeah, and, and, and we, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of other scriptures that come to my mind that says, as many as received him, to them God gives the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, not because you were born into a Christian family, nor by the will of flesh, nor by the, you know, by the will of man, but of God. I mean, God is the one who saves. We, we want to make that perfectly clear. But somehow, in the mystery of it all, he uses the influences of our parents, our grandparents, and in the case of the Bush family, the great-great-grandparents. That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool. So I think that's what it has to do, but it, there's a negative element to that as well. Those who do not obey God, the, the judgment of God is already upon them, and of course that can be a generational thing too. So only the gospel can break that chain and does. Thankful, I'm thankful to God it broke the chain in my own life, and now with my many children and now many grandchildren, it's my joy to see the gospel going to them as well. So praise the Lord. Yeah, that is really cool. I, I find it very interesting that God seems to work generationally a lot of the time. It's not a rule by mm -hmm. any means. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you pointed that out just because you're born into a Christian family doesn't mean that you are saved uh, any more than anyone else. You need to make it personal for mm -hmm. yourself. But uh, God really seems to work within families a lot. Yep. And I think yep. that also emphasizes our role as parents or grandparents or whatever as well, that we have a responsibility there. And Yeah, I mean, the, again, going to the Proverbs I alluded to earlier, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Again, a general truth, a general truism, not 100% of the time. But often that is the case, and again, you're, and even on your wife's side, which we won't get into, it's very similar to yours. So yeah. greatly, greatly blessed uh, generationally. Praise yeah. the Lord. So, um, Another question that came in, and this is one that I find particularly interesting. It's something I've been mulling over in my mind quite a bit, um, just myself. And uh, a good question says, as Christians, we long to find eternal satisfaction in Christ, but we don't do that all of the time. How can Christians choose to switch from seeking worldly satisfaction to seeking eternal satisfaction through Christ? Yeah, and I mean, to switch, I think, is all the question. Who's ever asking that question may be struggling with that right now. Worldliness is a real issue. I mean, the non-Christian doesn't have to worry about 
feeling worldly. He is worldly. He's everything. All of his eggs are in this basket. But the Christian is, uh, I often say, uh, Christians are uh, heavenly citizens. They hold earthly visas, so to speak. And uh, But sometimes those visas, we, we'd rather have them per, uh, permanent resident type of mm-hmm. cards, you know. And, uh, and Paul even said to the, the Corinthians, I couldn't sp- uh, write to you as unto spiritual, but rather as unto fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ. And the reason is because they were so worldly. Um, I was also I was thinking about the book of Ecclesiastes because there are a lot of people in our own church that are going through the five-day Bible reading program. And in that program, as you know, because I think you're going through it too, I am. Uh, we're, we've, we've landed upon the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon. And it's just a fascinating book because it is a, it's, it's, a, it's an open testimony of how pursuing things and even getting those things uh, getting the wine and the women and all of the riches uh, and the glory of this world do not bring satisfaction. But fearing God and keeping his commandments does. Now, fearing God in the, in the New Testament sense of the, world, in, of the word means to place your faith in Christ, live for him as Lord. But, and then I think it's an, from a very practical perspective to realize because we live in the flesh, and we posed this question earlier today, didn't we? Do, do you struggle fearing God sometimes? And everybody in our on staff acknowledged sometimes we do struggle with that. Uh, what were some of the things we talked about? How we can how we can break through and fear God throughout the day so that we can find our satisfaction in Him? Yeah, we we you went to a lot of different people on staff yeah, and asked, did. "Do you fear God? And why is it that you fear God?" Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said that the way that I fear God more is when I'm aware that he's there and when I have that closer relationship with him. Because when I'm distanced from him, then I kind of forget about him and it's no big deal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you realize, hey, I don't have any awareness of God in my life. I'm not fearing God. And that's when you get into trouble with, with sin. And so that's definitely the case for me. The more time I spend in his word and mm-hmm. in prayer, the more time I'm working on my personal relationship with Christ, the, the more I fear him, yeah. I, I'm in reverence of him. I'm uh, even with the aspect of a, a little bit of fear and trepidation, knowing that my sin is a big deal to God. Yeah. And, um, and the more I focus on that, the more it helps me to live righteously. I think the question that I've been sort of mulling around in my mind that's related to this is, to me, this idea of satisfaction in Mm -hmm. God. I mean, if I'm satisfied, then that means I don't want anything else anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, the need has been filled. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you just alluded to the fact that even people here on staff at Sailorville, even (laughs) pastors and people working at churches say, well... Sometimes I'm still tempted to give into the flesh. Yeah. Sometimes I, and so if I'm tempted toward those things, doesn't that by definition mean that I'm not satisfied in Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. I do think that this, I mean, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head. But satisfaction means I don't, I'm, I'm filled. I don't mm-hmm. need anymore. I'm, and um, uh, so I do think that because we're living in the flesh, the, the cheap imitations that we alluded to in the message the other day are always out there, and they're, and they're alluring. I mean, I remember I have a friend uh, who contacted me just a few hours ago, and uh, I remember we both have a great love for seafood. And, uh, and I, I'll never forget this. This is several years ago. 
she was telling me that she really loved, I said something about I love crab. I, I, I said I could, uh, crab, I, I could eat crab as quickly or as easily as I could eat lobster because they're both so delicious. It's the, top of the, it's the top of the food chain in the sea for me. And she said, you know, I like, uh, I really have come to like that imitation crab. And I said, and I, I remember thinking, are you kidding me? She goes, oh, I, I think I even like it better. And I, I couldn't believe it, which imitation crab is exactly that. It's imitation. It's mm -hmm. not the real thing. Crab with a K. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And I just think when we, uh, the problem is when we, we start to indulge in the uh, imitations of this world that, that they all say satisfaction over them, right? I mean, this is the reason Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. I mean, the well says you'll be satisfied, but that the world offers, but it never actually brings that satisfaction. And uh, so that's the allurement of it all. But I appreciate something else was said in our staff meeting today. We keep going back to that. I think it was you or somebody said, um, you know, it's one thing to get knowledge. I don't, it wasn't you, it was somebody else said, we can get a lot of knowledge, but I, I don't think uh, the knowledge itself causes me to worship or fear God. And I thought of that passage in Jeremiah 9 where he says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom or let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories or boasts glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. So there's that combination, I think, for satisfaction. We have to have the understanding. We do have to read our Bibles. We do need a good theology. Uh, because that keeps us from going down all these, you know, these paths that take us to, you know, just, just the pits. Um, but we have to know God. I mean, remember Paul again in the New Testament says, "I want to know Him," and I, I'm thinking. I'll just say one other thing, and then we'll just move on to the other. And that is, when, um, when I know somebody and I'm close to them. That, that's a form of satisfaction, too. I'm, we, we all have friends that we can just... You have friends, don't you, Andrew? When you're around them, it's like, okay, I got to have my ministry hat on and I got to be on top of my game here, you know? And we all have those kinds. They're friends, and we like being around them. Mm -hmm. But then there's those special friends. Sometimes it's just one or two people in your whole life where it's just like, ah, oh, you know, I know you, you know me. The hair's let down. Let's just be ourselves. I think that's kind of where I want to get with my walk with God and there's satisfaction there. Hmm. That's good. Um, let's see. We had a... Uh, you had an illustration that I think was uh, mm. really powerful and it kind of links to this idea of being satisfied in God and yet kind of going back to your sinful desires at times. And it was that illustration of the slave oh, yeah. that has been freed and and yet he still has these tendencies to act like a slave because that was all he knew. Uh, so the question is, how, how do you get into that mindset of moving on and embracing freedom rather than dwelling on your past? <clears throat> Okay, so the, the illustration, if you, it wasn't mine, by the way. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who gave that illustration. And it was a powerful one. In fact, you're not alone. I mean, other individuals said, boy, that one just like, wow, you know. Mm -hmm. So the illustration was right after the, um, the Emancipation Proclamation, the, 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 the slaves 
Uh, the African-Americans were now free, technically, legally, but uh, he envisioned a slave running into his old master. And his instinct was to cower and to, you know, and then even to obey his old master if his old master told him to do something. Uh, but he didn't have to because that power had been broken. And uh, so in Romans chapter 6, I think the key for, to the answer to this question and how to break away from the, the incarceration, the slavery, call it the chains, call it what you will, uh, of the old life that wants to keep getting hold of us is those three verbs in Romans 6, know, reckon, and yield. Know that you have died to sin and you are alive. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. And then yield yourself to him. Uh, and I think that's, the yielding uh, is, a, is a daily commitment. And that's why we're so passionate about that spending time with God, confessing sin, uh, just getting yourself spiritually realigned with God every day is so important. Recognizing who you are in Christ. My identity is not, is not to be a white suburban guy living in Des Moines, Iowa, that's not my, and who happens to pastor a church. My identity is I am a former slave, now free in Christ. That's my identity. Hmm. That's really powerful and something that we need to think about on a regular basis, especially when we're fighting with sin. Yeah. You know, I, I need to, you know, the book of Romans tells us to reckon ourselves as being dead to sin and alive in Christ and no longer slaves to sin and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, even, even in the sense of the whole image of God thing that we are, uh, you know, we, we made a big deal out of that. You know, you, we are the image of God. I and mean, we don't have to worry about creating images or imagining images, but being the image of God. And I, uh, I, I remember, you know, my wife shares a testimony and uh, she, she came from a similar background to me. Uh, both of us were former Roman Catholics, both of us raised in, in, in wonderful homes, religious homes, but just not gospel-centered homes. And it was her mother-in-law who uh, uh, was a fervent follower of Jesus. And she would all, and she always says this in her testimony, she was the first Jesus I ever saw. She doesn't say, she never says she's the first one who lived for Jesus I ever saw. She always coins it like this, she was the first Jesus I ever saw. Hmm. And uh, I think when I every time I hear that, I think that was the image that was the image of Christ right there. So very very powerful to me. So yeah, I I was even thinking through some of the uh, the current things that have been happening in our nation. A lot of people tearing down images of uh, you know big names in in our country's history. You know defacing a monument for George Washington mm -hmm. or. You know, maybe it's some Confederate guy or whatever, and yeah. and I mean, regardless of where you stand on those particular issues, and we people make a big deal about images, whether yeah. it's this is a bad image that needs to go, or this is a good image that needs to be preserved and yeah. cherished, and yet, how often do I think about the importance of the image of God in other people, hmm. whether they're people that I view as doing something wrong and abusing others, or uh, whether it's you know a close friend of mine, I need to view the image of God in those people and 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 cherish that and love that and and uphold that 
uh, far more than I worry about an image of George Washington yeah. or Abraham Lincoln or whatever. <laughs> That's a great point. And it doesn't just apply to Christians who look like Jesus because as James 2.9 says, everyone is created in the image of God. I, I used the analogy in a message I preached last summer that, uh, remember that I gave that uh, illustration of the little girl who was playing around her dad, who was changing the oil in his car. Do you remember that? And the oil spilled out into the sun. And if you've ever seen black oil in the sun, it, mm -hmm. it looks like broken rainbows all over the yeah. place. You know, and she, she's, she looks down there and she goes, Daddy, somebody broke the rainbow, you know. And that's us. I mean, we, we are, we're all broken rainbows. Uh, and yet there is a beauty in that still inherent mm -hmm. within that uh, broken rainbow. And the beauty in every person is the image of God. God has created himself, an image of himself within every person, saved or unsaved, and we ought to value that. Yeah. Uh, one of the last questions that uh, we want to hit on before we wrap things up, this is kind of a personal one mm -hmm. because I was thinking through your message and, and there was a, a portion of it that I thought, I really wished you would have had another 10, 15 minutes to explain it to us uh, a little deeper. You quoted Psalm 119.45, mm -hmm. and uh, the verse on the surface is a bit of a contradiction. Uh, it kind of ties freedom to obedience to yeah. God, and usually we view those as contradicting things, like, I don't want rules that puts chains on me, and it doesn't make me free. And one of the main points of your message was that when we are obedient to God, that's where we have the freedom yeah. to really worship God the way yeah. that uh, he wants us to. So I was hoping that you could just unpack that statement a little bit. Um, in fact, it, here's, here's exactly the thing that really kind of got me the most, and I'll just have you explain this okay. statement. You said, uh, why do we study the Ten Commandments? Because they will help us worship the one true God and when that happens, we will truly be free. And I kind of sat back and I was like, okay, I, I think I get that. But why? What I made is, a jump. Yeah, I what's, a jump what's the tie to worship and yeah. freedom that you're getting at there? Well, and I understand where you're, where you're coming from on that. Because if you just take it out like that, it doesn't, make, it, it, it doesn't stand on its own real well. Uh, because obedience doesn't save anybody for sure. But we did point out, if you recall, that the Ten Commandments is God's, these are principles of perfection. The, they are the, this is the righteousness of God on display right here. Mm -hmm. So if we can capture that, that and, and in Christ, you know, walk with God, obey his commands, uh, that is a form of worship. In fact, obedience is a form of worship. There's no question about it. You can say, I worship Jesus, and I praise him, and I lift my hands, and I lift my voice, but if I'm, you know, if I'm sleeping around, or if I'm stealing, and if I'm cheating, that's not, I, I, I'm a hypocrite. So obedience to God is definitely a form of, of worship. And the assumption in there was if we, if we come to God, the only way we can come to God, which is through his son, Jesus Christ, and his, his uh, death and resurrection, then we have the capacity within us to obey him. The chains have been broken. I'm no longer a slave. And then the things that Jesus said, uh, he who has my commandments and keeps them, obeys them. He's the one who what? He's the one who loves me, right? And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I'll love him. I'll, I'll, I'll display myself to him. And a little bit earlier, he said, 
if you love me, you'll obey me. So it's, it's a form of love, it's a form of worship, and uh, really, um, to get back to that whole slave analogy, um, because the, the Jews were slaves in Egypt, if, if you'll recall. And so Paul sort of picks up on that in the New Testament, and he says, in Romans 6, he says, in Romans 6, 16, he says, don't you know that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey and the word servants is the word doulos that's the word for slave so mm -hmm. don't you know that to whom you yield yourself a slave to obey and then this is the this is an expression that just jumps out at me every time andrew his slave you are whom mm -hmm. you obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness so we're slaves either way i'd rather be a slave of god that's what i'd rather be and there is the irony is that there's freedom when you live for Jesus Christ as his servant, you know, so, so, and all of this is the way in which we worship the one true God. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you, I mean, you say you're going to be a slave to somebody, either God or to sin, uh, being a slave to God doesn't come with all of the baggage and the chains and the addictions that yeah. being a slave to sin God is not a with. harsh taskmaster yeah. and he says in first uh, in first uh, John 5 my commandments are not burdensome hmm. that's pretty cool so uh, and keep in mind I it's probably a good thing because especially in this environment with all the racial tension there's you know we're so one-dimensional with that with that uh, term slavery or slave we, we tend to put big walls all around northeast, south, and west of the United States of America, and we, and we talk about the 340,000 slaves that came into this country and how they were treated, and it's, 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 there's no excuse for any of this. But, you know, the world has operated on slavery for, from time immortal, right or wrong. The Roman Empire that Paul wrote about, uh, I don't know what the percentage was, but it was a large percentage of the empire were slaves. But they weren't slaves in the sense of we think of slavery. Most of them were probably were probably European in looking, or Middle Eastern in looking. Uh, they owned homes, they had families, they traveled even, but they were somehow indentured to somebody else, uh, and it wasn't always. Most time, it was just the point is that they were slaves, but they weren't slaves in the harsh task, not that there weren't harsh taskmasters in those days, but for the most part, it wasn't the same, quite the same. Mm -hmm. So we can't, we shouldn't be thinking, sometimes we take our 21st century mind and, and what we understand about the Civil War, and we, we, we see the word slavery in the Bible, and we automatically think of what took place uh, before and even after the Civil War, but that's just not the case. So. Mm -hmm. But either way, know this, if you know Christ as your Savior, the principle of sin, the, the slavery element of sin has been broken. You don't have to live under that law anymore. And as you know who you are in Christ, as you reckon yourself to be dead and alive, right, uh, and, uh, and yield yourself daily to him, that, that, that principle is broken and actually, and in experience, you can have the freedom to know, love, obey, and in so doing, worship the living God. So there you go. Cool. Yeah. Well, this has been really great, really helpful to unpack some of these things a little bit more. I mean, there are times where 
when we're really getting into God's word, I think to myself, man, if only Pastor Pat had an extra 20, 30 minutes to really <laughs> yeah. fully elaborate. That's because you sat under John MacArthur for so many years as a student at the Master's College, uh, and probably. you listened to his 55-minute messages. Uh, yeah, I'm probably in the minority, I guess. <laughs> but if you're looking for a little extra, the, the bonus features of... Uh, Pastor Pat's sermons and these questions, these have been really good questions mm-hmm. submitted by people. So it's great to go through these things and cool to have this venue and this podcast to be able to help elaborate that yeah. on a little more. Thanks a bunch, Andrew. I appreciate that. And just to let our listening and watching audience know, this is not just a Q&A, although we, you know, we get lots of questions for the very reason you pointed out. I mean, people ask questions because they want more. They want good theology. They want to go deeper. And our, you know, the sermons are 30 to 35 minutes long here. And so this gives us an opportunity to sort of relax and expand on some of that theology. We hope it's helpful to you. And we'll continue to do this uh, in the future. Lord willing, we'll see you next week.